0: Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. We've got a packed pod for you this week. After a frustrating start to his pro career, cycling star Sam Colwell hasn't been hanging back in his first races of the new season. A full interview with him coming up. We'll also preview the Specsavers Youth Games with around 700 children set to compete in 20 sports before descending on Foots Lane for a colourful closing ceremony. Plus, we'll look ahead to what else is going on over the next seven days and pick out our highlights from the last week. Uh, with me today is Guernsey Press Sports Editor Rob Battist. Hey, do. And the rest of the team from the sports desk, Gareth DePrevo, Hi, Tony. And Jamie Ingrill. Hi. Uh, well chaps, let's start with our picks of the week Lots to enjoy um, in recent days uh, Gareth, let's come to you first Because we've had the, the start of the cricket season And some strong performances to lead off
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's great that cricket is now back Tony, it's typically turned cold Just as cricket returns But um, no, it was great to be up at uh, the college field um, Last Saturday To see um, the old Elizabethan Association team Begin their um, weekend championship uh, campaign It's their debut It's um, a side comprised mainly of Elizabethan with college first 11 players but um, with the addition of a couple of OEs and not bad ones at that one. It's um, Ben Furbrush and Matt Stokes who are two Ireland players, Ireland regulars and um, they had a cracking game against Griffins which um, went down to the last wicket. Griffins won by one wicket um, chasing 190 odd which was a good score for the oea on that um on that deck and uh, no it was a really good start to the season Yeah, a bit of a damp start to the day up there it was a delayed yeah, start because of a couple of um, damp patches on the pitch there's been a lot of heavy overnight rain um so it wasn't a surprise when griffins opted to bowl first to be honest but um no the um, the oea side they batted pretty well actually i mean matt stokes is going to be just given the role of anchoring that innings all season and Tell Matt Stokes to go out and bat for 50 overs is what he absolutely adores to do. Um, he only lasted 15 this time. Um, Charlie Birch was the, the first guy to get half-century for the OEA side. and um, He batted really well. He, he played a couple of really nice drives early on. He obviously can time the ball well. Um, but no, it was a good score to get. I mean, Furby got uh, 30-odd as well to help take them up to 194. And then um, in the reply, Griffin's... They started quite badly, really. I mean, yes, again, Matt Stokes was opening the bowling, so he took a few early wickets. Um, Luke Letizia and Jordan Martel then got them back on track. And um, But it came down to a bit of a nail-biter at the end when Stokes, he came back on and got a couple of late wickets. And Luke Bishard had to see them over the line with um, with the last wicket partnership with uh, Adam Wakeford.
0: And obviously they've got
1: a lovely place to
0: play their cricket uh, at the college field. Rob, I know you, um, sort of one of your highlights of the week is, is just getting down to some cricket, the KG5 as well, another glorious field. Indeed,
2: with football still going on, I had to, um, had to concentrate on that last Saturday, but it was great to just pop down the King Georgia fifth field. Briefly on Saturday morning, the sun was shining, cricket was back. and It was wonderful to see how that ground has been transformed. So amazingly really when I look back to when I was a kid to be honest in the mids and 60s and remember what King George V field was like then with the uh, most of the what the ground what we know now was um the bottom third of it I should say was long grass and almost like a swamp um the grass, the outfield was often very very long itself um, for a game to start, you had to nip across the road over the ditch and a little plank of wood into John Lepevin's Vinery where there was an old shed where the key was hanging up, come back, open up the old pavilion, put out the old metal scoreboard. and um, But over the years, it's been transformed, really. you know, It's um, bit by bit, and thanks to Stuart Followers, amazingly hard work. Um, and the good groundsmanship, of course, obviously, of Stuart Le Pro and Josh Butler and a lot of investment. It really is. A brilliant scene now. And the legends bar, of course, is um looking good. I should imagine that when we get some decent weather, that will be packed out. and it will be a great place to watch cricket. Fair play to them, well done. Jamie, your pick of the week?
3: Okay, indoors at St. Sampson's last Friday night, we had a big uh, basketball title decider with a twist, really, because any one of three teams could have won the title based on the result. Um, on court, it was Skipton, the defending champions, taking on Mayside. Skipton did win 62 46, ultimately closing the door on both Mayside and Le Monsant, who could have won based on points difference. But yeah, it was an interesting game in that uh, Skipton ultimately were leading 30-9 quite early on, and Mayside were quite plucky and bring it back. I think it's credit to the Guernsey Basketball Association for creating three really well-balanced teams. Mayside were without Jason Hooper, who's arguably one of the Ireland's best ever players, possibly inarguably. Yeah, and losing him was a blow, but they made a the game out of it, and hopefully, be, hopefully once he's back next season, it could be... It could be anyone's game.
0: Fantastic. Well, I think for all of us, another highlight this week will have been seeing Sam Covell get back to action. It has been a great week for the Guernsey cyclist. After such a frustrating year as a rookie pro, uh, he's finally getting stuck into some serious racing with his Trinity team. Uh, At the end of last week, uh, he finished in the league group in a very high calibre one day event before moving straight on to a three day stage race in France. Uh, where he mounted a solo breakaway on an epic final day, uh, leading on his own for two hours before eventually being caught by the chasing pack. Uh, Jamie and I caught up with him from his training base in Belgium, uh, and I began by asking Sam just how happy he was to be putting his training to use.
4: Oh, it's been really great, yeah. So um, there was a lot of, um, yeah, it's been a long time coming, really, um, to get racing again. After last year, I only got one race, I um, only got one race in at the end of September, so it's been quite a long winter of the, uh, I'm um, training and also starting um two months later than I mean, originally planned in uh, May instead of uh, mid march, so to get uh, to get uh, to get called up for his first two races the one day and then the three day stage race straight off was uh really great, and it was um felt amazing to be in a bunch of racing
0: yeah because obviously you 've had so much disruption because of the situation, and I know yeah, there are more important things in the world than sport, but for someone uh, like you, a young rider. Kind of eager to get those those first opportunities in racing last year. yeah you know, I presume it's been you know, a challenging kind of year to eighteen months now. Um, what were the emotions like when you kind of sat down at the end of those um, sort of four days of racing in those two races?
4: The morale was really high um, I'm like, on a team level and on a personal level. I think the boys we all rode really well as a team and showed that we could be competitive. And on a personal level, I was really happy with how I performed. Which um, Gives me a lot of confidence going forward into other races and also gave me confidence that my preparation over the winter um has gone well and the uh, the hard work i put in has definitely paid dividends um and just hoping it comes together to get a, a personal result at one of the races some point this year
0: yeah well we, yeah we certainly wish you all the best with that i mean talk us through those first couple of races then the first one was a, a one-day event and then you were straight into a stage race
4: Yes, yeah, that's correct so the first race was in belgium um uh, it was called Circuit de Wallonie, and that was quite a high level race out to 1.1, which meant there was um, World Tour and Pro Conti teams there. So um, the level of competition was very high, um, but I think I showed myself well and I was happy with how I felt. Um, I tried to get into the breakaway for the first 50k, but um, nothing was sticking. Um, it was a very fast pace with a tailwind, uh, tailwind start, so um, yeah, it was kind of full gas from the start. Um, knowing able to get away and then midway through the race we hit a few short climbs which split the peloton because they were quite narrow and um positioning wise a few of us were a little bit too far back but then after the split we all got back to the front again and um yeah unfortunately a few guys, a few guys didn't finish but um three of us on the finishing circuits three of us managed to get up there and finish in like around 30th and top 30 so uh, yeah i was really happy with my performance and how i felt um especially first race back, um, with such a high level of competition. Um, I was happy with how I felt during the race and also um, yeah, and how I was was feeling at the end, and they're kind of mixing it, so really pleased with that.
3: Going back to before that race, like before you actually went to the start line, uh, I imagine that it's probably sort of a bit on the unknown, since you haven't raced in so long and you're stepping to such a high standard of racing. Of, in terms of expectation, would you say you beat your expectations by finishing in that lead group?
4: Um. The, the thing. The thing is, I. The thing is, I wasn't too sure what to expect. It was um, it was a high field, like you said. It was also um, quite a long race, one of the longest ones I've done at 194 kilometres, I think it was. It was something similar to that. So I knew it was going to be um, yeah. I knew it was a long race, um. So. Yeah, it was it was a tricky one to have any sort of expectations because jumping in there after no racing it, it can often be like quite a shock to the system. Um, like the pace can just go up and you you'll be like, whoa, this is harder than I expected because you're not used to it um, and you can get job quite easily. So I was really I really didn't know what to expect. So I think I'd uh, surpassed any real expectations in kind of finishing like um, finishing. I mean I wasn't um I wasn't like in there for the win in like the sprint but I was still in the lead group and near drop so that's um, all, like huge positives to take away from the racing
0: yeah that must have flowed really nicely then into the the stage race you did and there was a pretty epic solo breakaway you uh you kind of kept everyone trailing behind for a good chunk of distance
4: yeah 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 it was um it was yeah it was an interesting dynamic really we went straight from the belgian race driving across to france we had about a a five hour drive um, that evening and then um, a shorter stage the next day at 120k which the way it was raced almost allowed us to recover a little bit um, I certainly felt I could use the first half of that stage to recover a bit and then when the pace went on at the end I still felt okay um, and then the second stage was yeah all fine and then like you said that last stage um, the last stage was a bit of a um, a bit of a bold move going from from that long out but it wasn't really intentional. The, um, what, what happened in the race was that just after um, the neutral section, when the race was denutralised and the race could kick properly, there was a crash, um, which ended up splitting the peloton. Um, so coming out of the town, we were all um, strung out, and then we just hit these um, this crosswind, this cross tailwind, and it was like that for the next ninety to hundred kilometres. So that meant the pace was really fast, um, and when you when it's crosswinds, it Everyone's kind of riding in the gutter, getting battered by the wind as well. So um, the group the group was just totally split from a crash. And I was in the second group with one of my teammates, and we managed to get across to the front group. So there's three of us up there. And then I was feeling good. Um, and was just on the front of the group, rolling a turn um, like everyone else, and just pressed on a little bit through a little village. And um, found myself a few metres off the front, so I thought, well, I may as well just... Uh, put my head down and um, up the pace a bit and see if anyone came with me. And, and no one did. So, um, yeah, it was it was then all about um, just trying to stay out front for as long as possible as um, it took the pressure off the guys behind in the peloton. They, could, um, they didn't have to do any work. They could just relax, keep themselves fresh for a finish where um, we tried to get a result, and we did with um, my teammate in third place in the end. So, um, yeah, that was um, a nice, successful day out, and I got a nice long day out, out front and solo.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And obviously it is, as you say, it is a team game. Um, you know, when it was said and done at the end of the weekend, were you proud of your efforts for the team?
4: Yeah, yeah, I was. I think as a team, we all rode really well. Um, we showed ourselves to be competitive at that level race. We got a stage win. We got um, a third place. Um, and sixth overall in the GC. Um, and before that last day, a lot of us were up there in GC as well. There was three... It was kind of each stage finished in a bunch sprint race, so the time gaps were really close and it was down to more who finished the top in the top three and got bonus seconds each day. So I was happy that I could kind of get off the front and get in a breakaway and show myself um, to be strong, even if I knew the entire duration of it that it wasn't going to succeed. Um, mm-hmm. It was still good to, like, to get off the front and to, to help the team out in the best way I could.
0: I guess, you know, obviously this is your second season, technically. You know, last year was, was such a washout. Um, you're still obviously then quite a new rider on this scene. Do you feel like uh, there's an eagerness inside you to, to really make an impression, you know, over the next uh, few weeks and months?
4: Yeah, there definitely is. Um, I we've got so many good people on this sport that um, yeah, it's uh, it's quite close in this selection for um, for races coming up. So, uh, you do want to make that like, good, good impression, but everyone on the team is really great I'm just having a great time um and yeah the racing the racing's really good and it gave me confidence at the weekend um and what i was capable of and hopefully um, that bodes well for the future and um, future races um coming up in both the near the near future i uh, mean next week and also uh, further on down the year
0: yeah so you're more or less straight back into it um what are the big targets for you this season The any particular races that really stand out as ones you want to be involved in and do well in?
4: Uh, okay, so, um, so I've been put into um, a race called Tour de la Mirabelle, which is uh, a four-day stage race next week, um, starting Thursday. Um, going there, i like to like, try and see if I can get a personal or, or build, at least a build on what I achieved in previous weekends and gain that more experience, um, if nothing else. Um, for baby zero I'm not so sure whether I'm get put in the team, it's a, it's a tricky one, there's only five spaces um, so not sure yet on that one but looking down to later the year, I'd love to I'd actually love to be in the Portland Britain squad um, that would be a huge race to do um, and I'd love to be able to race that so that would be a massive goal to, to do that um, and in terms of personal results I'd love to try and uh, get, get a result for myself as well um, at some point during the year
3: um, obviously just your current situation, it's very different to what it was like a couple of years ago when you were based in Guernsey. You've now got like a strong team with you and you're training and racing with them all the time. Um yeah, I just want to know what that looks like on a weekly basis.
4: Um, it's not really too it's not too dissimilar to being at home really. It's actually just um everyone here is um a large portion of the team all have different coaches. So we all go out for like different rides. If we both set if if some um, some different if some if some people on the squad, sorry, have got five-hour rides on one day, then we might all go together. But quite often we train on our own so that we can get the intervals in we need to. Um, and then it's, it's either you're training or you're resting and eating. And uh, that's really um, that's really the name of the game. That's, that's all we do, really. It sounds a bit boring, but that's just the lifestyle, really. Um, we're all living in a house together and the dynamic's really nice. Got a really nice group of guys here so um so yeah it's um it's good it's not too different to being back home in training but you're just living with um your teammates instead of your family really um that's the the only difference i would say
0: and you're not just going up and down the west coast
4: (laughs) oh yeah you're not quite going and down the west coast
0: and just in terms of the team that you're involved in um just just paint the picture of of, of kind of where it, where they sit in terms of of the races that you're that you're entering and, and your aspirations because they do seem like um, you know an ambitious outfit and it, it certainly seems like you've you kind of landed on a really good uh, a good unit to to ply a trade for.
4: Yeah, so um, I think our team is going to be really competitive. Some of the bigger races this year, so I think Baby Zero, we're we'll definitely going there with um, whoever is picked for the squad. I think they'll definitely be going there with aspirations of um, trying to get a stage win, and also there's potential of winning the the actual overall GC. Um, so we have a couple of riders who have the potential to do that. So that would be a, that would be a huge result. Um, yeah, and also another there's other big under 23 and senior races we're planning this year where the teams aiming to just show themselves and. The riders on a personal level, we'll, we'll all be trying to get results. Um, myself included, we'll be trying to get results just so that we can uh, build our own Palmaras, really. So um, we, have that, we have that on our CV, as it were, to try and move on to a uh, uh, higher level team in the future. But I think, um, yeah, I think the team can be really competitive this year and we've got a good start
3: I know, like, OK, about a year and a half ago, you've... <laughs> You had obviously had your breakout 2019 season, and you, had quite a, you were kind of in demand from quite a few teams, including like a few British continental teams, yet you went for sort of an under-23 elite team, who have now become a continental team. Yeah, I just want you to go back to that decision, like how glad you are that you decided to do that.
4: Yeah, I, I stand by my decision, and I think I will stand by my, my decisions because those Celeste's seniors are going to be around, they're always going to be around, and Maybe their names will change with different sponsors there. They're always going to be there, unless really like the scene is struggling in the UK. But um, my under-23, everyone's under-23 are numbered. Uh, The best place for you to go is to do it to an under-23 team and target those kind of under-23 races that all teams do look at. So um, that, I think, was definitely the best decision for me. And now that the team has gone, up the continental level, able to get into races such as the second to one only 1.1 that we did the other day, and then you can try and really show yourself against world that teams actually there. So um, yes, yeah, so I definitely stand by my decision, and uh, yeah, I think it was I think it was a good one.
0: And just just finally for me, just give us a sense of what it's like for you as a you know as an aspiring young rider. You know, you've, you're building your experience all the time, but now to be involved in those um those really exciting races where you're, you know you're against very very high quality opposition you're kind of right in the mix of things you know, riding in a big group covering as you say big distances uh how much satisfaction and, and excitement is that kind of generating in, inside you
4: oh it generates a huge amount of time yeah this is what this is what we've been waiting for this is what we've been training for for so long so to finally get to go to go and race and kind of live the dream as it were to be going off and doing all these races um it's kind of felt like a long time coming since I signed with Petit um, from the start of 2020 onwards. And to finally kind of be able to live it, be able to live it is, um, yeah, it's a real special feeling. And um, yeah, just really happy to be back racing and uh, get back into the swing of things and uh, hopefully more to come.
0: Brilliant. Well, thanks for your time, Sam. Great to chat. Uh, fantastic to see you in action. And uh, yeah, we wish you all the best for the season. And uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon with some uh, yeah, some more fine performances under your belt.
4: Thank you very much and uh, I hope so and it was uh, was great to be since you guys too.
0: Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. Uh, Great to hear from Sam Culverwell there uh, and great to to see him doing kind of so well after such a a long time pretty much waiting on the sidelines.
2: Yeah, what he didn't reveal, though, is did he give um, young Jamie here any tips on how to mount curbs in light of Jamie's recent accident where he managed to bite the dust and brawl Maisel Road at six o'clock in the morning?
3: Yeah, I think, yeah, the cat's out of the bag there, really. I had a bit of a crash last Monday. Um, Thankfully, I'm okay now. I did miss a big netball title decider. But it only made me all more happy to get to that basketball title <laughs> on
2: Friday. For the yous, for the you, for the you you out for those of you out there who haven't seen Jamie in a while, basically he looked like he'd done ten rounds with Billy Lapuna um, as a result of that accident. But I'm glad to see he's fully recovered.
0: Yeah, you look, yeah, looking uh, looking back to f- yeah, fighting fitness, Jamie. <laughs> shall we say? Um, Right well let's move on. Now it's got to be one of the biggest sporting gatherings I think we'll see outside of the Island Games. Uh, Saturday's Specsavers Youth Games will bring together some 700 children for a day of competition and sporting camaraderie. Uh, Now in its ninth year uh, the biennial event features 20 sports with the youngsters taking part encouraged uh, each time to try something new. Uh, I spoke to Nikki Will from the Guernsey Sports Commission and asked her what it's all about.
5: Well Saturday is Games Day and we're all very excited. Uh, This is the ninth time that the Specsavers Youth Games has happened and we've got nearly 700 children taking part in 20 different sports. They'll all be competing in their sports in the morning, uh, representing their six different districts. And then we're getting them all to Foots Lane for a fun and usually quite loud closing ceremony in the afternoon.
0: Yeah, massive numbers. Uh, How does it actually work on the day? How do you uh, split up the the children and and kind of what sort of things are they going to be doing?
5: Well, this kind of goes back to when we launched it in January and all the children had a little brochure which explained the 20 sports that were on offer. And they had to put down five that they were interested in. Now, the idea really is they try a sport that they haven't done before. They put down the five sports, we gather all that information together and then we allocate them out and, um, and they get one of their five sports that they've chosen. Then I think probably the earliest we started was around the beginning of April. They go and they have uh, up to six hours of training and coaching in their allocated sport. And that's all in the run-up to the Games Day competition that takes place on Saturday.
0: Fantastic. So is it competitive on the day or is it kind of more about finding your way into a new sport for these kids?
5: It really is about the kids having fun. Obviously, there is a little bit of a competitive edge because every kid wants to be part of the winning district. But really, it's about having fun. It's about fair play. It's about meeting new friends because you're not necessarily going to be in the same sport as your friends from school. So you might be meeting uh, other kids from uh, living in your district as well. But really the emphasis is on having fun and having a really positive experience of sport.
0: What's the sort of hope from it? Is it that, you know, just to, to give children the chance to perhaps, yeah, try something they've never tried before, Yeah, and ultimately, you know, find something they might love and and carry on with, I
5: guess. Absolutely. I mean, the Sports Commission is all about. Increasing participation across the board, not just with kids, but if we start with children and they have a positive experience and they get to try a, a real range of different sports, there's going to be something for everybody out there. And thanks to Spec Savers and the Youth Games, we have this amazing opportunity to let them try new things. And with 20 sports, we've got two new ones this year: lacrosse and climbing, there's some individual sports, there's some team sports. You know, there really is something for everyone. And then I think if they do have that positive experience and the sports themselves have the opportunity to say to the children, once the youth games are finished, how about you come down and uh, you know join in some of our other training sessions? Uh, I think it's a win for everyone.
0: So how many children will take part in each sport? There's some that uh, will be more popular than others, but are there surprising ones that lots of children were interested in taking part in this year?
5: Do you know, I think we could have filled every sport pretty much you know three times over obviously some of the sports have limited numbers so for instance table tennis and judo are some of our smaller ones whereas the team sports like um, girls football rugby uh, cycling's been hugely um, popular this time softball really really popular Um, so you know we've got 50 kids in in softball and 50 in cycling um, and sort of 16 17 in in judo and and table tennis Um, but yeah, as I say, I think all the sports, in their own way, have been really, really popular.
0: And how much buy-in do you get from the sports themselves? Do they see it as a great opportunity to, yeah, to, to perhaps find the, or not necessarily the stars of the future, but the, you know, the participants of the future?
5: Amazing buy-in. I mean, we couldn't do this without the enthusiasm. You know, most of these guys are volunteers, and they get. Huge numbers of uh, other volunteers turning up to help them on Games Day, to help them with training and to ensure the kids have a good time. So without that buy-in from the sports, the youth games just wouldn't get anywhere. So we're really, really grateful for, for all the support that they give us.
0: And it all finishes with a closing ceremony at Foots Lane. I'm I'm sure, massive, quite a spectacle and probably as big a a gathering of kind of sporting uh, bodies in in one place, probably outside the Island Games, I
5: guess. Um, Yeah, I think think it's going to be because we've got around 700 children taking part. You add in uh, all the coaches and volunteers, plus all the helpers we've got from Specsavers and the Guernsey Sports Commission, all the parents that will probably come along and watch. So there's the potential for nearly 2,000 people down at Foots Lane. But yeah, I can promise you that it's going to be loud. uh, It's going to be fun the kids will get the opportunity to parade around in their district coloured t-shirts led out by their district leaders so we've got six politicians who are going to come in and lead the parade around we've got Samba Burros, who will be creating a uh, pretty impressive loud atmosphere I'm sure with their drumming Uh, we've got Be Creative and Brandy Atwell dancers entertaining the crowds before uh, the big parade starts Um, And yeah, we just really hope that it's going to be a fun afternoon.
0: Can we expect some big motivational speeches from the deputies ahead of it?
5: We won't be asking the deputies to say anything. (laughs) And, uh, you
0: know, just in terms of the district, so, you know, it's, as you said, it's the ninth edition. Are there any districts that kind of uh, that have a sort of habit of winning this?
5: Um, interestingly, so St Peterport is by far and away the largest district. But Vale seem to be, uh, they're reigning champions and they won um, the, the two years before that as well. So it really is anybody's, uh, you know, game to, to win the district trophy. But we also present a fair play trophy so we ask all of our sport coaches and volunteers to nominate the district that they feel best represents fair play, looking out for each other. Um, and uh, so there's a lovely fair play trophy as well that's going to be awarded on the day. And just finally,
0: obviously, as you say, it's um, the children are from the final couple of years of primary school. Why is that such a crucial age you know, to, to offer this kind of event?
5: Again, I think we all know that um, when children get into secondary school, there does tend to be a little bit of a drop off, especially as they get a little bit older in the sports that they do. So if, again, they have that positive experience, they try a new sport that may be open to them when they go to secondary school, it really sets out uh, you know, a fantastic base for them uh, to build on. Um, and I think that's what we're all about.
0: Well, we wish all those taking part in the Specsavers Youth Games the very best of luck this weekend. Perhaps there should be a veterans version for us older athletes. I don't know, what, what, what sport would you take up now, guys? If you uh, The slowest of the moving of one or... available, I think. <laughs> um...
2: I'd look to bring back Shove hate me. <laughs> <laughs> Great sport. Wonderful Friday nights. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it there. Oh, we better not go there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, Well, let's have a look at what else is
0: coming up this weekend. Uh, Rob, we now know that Saints will be presented with the Premier League title on Saturday. They beat uh, Bells 4-0 on Wednesday night. We'll chat a bit more about their title uh, victory on the football pod on Monday. But yeah, it was a deserved one, wasn't
2: it? Yeah, it it, it was. um, They've been looking champions, every inch champions for several weeks and against Bells the other night who were, were plucky, but... I'm afraid they haven't got the legs in the side at the moment. They've got a lot of injuries and it was a, a pretty old side. They were organised, but once once St has got ahead, they just powered through. And 4-0, um, it, it, it could have been 6 or 7, to be honest. But um, no, it's good to see them finally rewarded with that trophy. Um, they have a fantastic attitude to the game and it's borne out by the likes of seeing, likes of Simon Gill working his socks off on the training field next door trying to get back from injury. They are a very fit side, a very powerful team and, they, and um, very worthy champions.
0: Yeah, and they capped it with a, a fine goal, Dom Yeom nodding in their fourth and it was a really nice way to end oh, it. Oh, it.
2: it was a terrific goal. I mean, it started out with Louis Hunter picking the ball up just so probably on halfway, sliding the ball forward to a cowler lasher who'd just come on a sub and was pretty, um, very effective on this occasion as a sub. Um, looked very, very lively. Cut in, then whipped the ball out to the right. George Mason near the right corner flag. He held it up briefly, knocked it back for Dom, um, Danny Hale, who whipped in his fantastic cross and bang, Dom was up there. Shades of Henry Davy in his pomp. <laughs> <laughs> and powered home the header just underneath the crossbar.
0: Yeah, it was a delightful team goal. Um, yeah, head to our Twitter feed uh, at GSY Press Sport to see it. It's worth uh, checking out for sure. Uh, Jamie, it's going to be a big weekend for the Chalmers brothers. In fact, a big big weekend for a, a Guernsey quartet on the track. Um, yes,
3: so we have a... 4x400m four relay squad in action at the prestigious Loughborough International. First time we've actually had a team there. It's led by none other than Cam Chalmers, our best ever 400m runner. And we also have his brother, Ala, in action. Alongside Peter Curtis and Sam Walbridge. Um, they'll be targeting a record from 12 years ago, which Gerns used to win gold at the 2009 Island Games. And it'll be interesting to see how they get on. Obviously, having those two in the squad will be a huge boon, and it's overall a very young, exciting squad.
0: And it's all about getting to the Commonwealth Games, isn't it?
3: Yes, yes, it is. So they actually need to run slightly faster than the old Guernsey record to get the A standard, which is the aim for them.
2: Yeah, um, I've, and it's good the fact they've got international opposition to run against: England, Scotland, and I think there's a Lothbury international or represent you know invitation team in action as well that they. They'll certainly have the perfect oppositions, perfect opportunity to do so. Just hope the weather behaves itself and is not a 4-6 blowing and makes the, you know slows all the times down. But given good conditions, I think they may well get that time.
0: Yeah, and after a long winter of training down at Foots Lane, more or less on their own, it's all go for the Chalmers brothers, isn't it? Because they've both been called up to compete in Poland in a couple of weeks' time. Ala's first senior GB cap.
3: Mm, yeah, especially for Ala. It's an amazing opportunity. But... It's an event where Britain will only send one athlete per individual event. So to see both of the Chalmers brothers on the lineup is, yeah, impressive stuff.
0: Yeah, we'll look forward to seeing how they go in that and how the quartet go in Loughborough this weekend. It'll be very interesting. Uh, closer to home, Gareth, we've got the Island Men's Golf Championship. It's going to be a windy one.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm going to be blown off <laughs> Your course <wisdom>. yet again. <laughs> Every time I go to Lancrest these days to report on any golf, is blowing an absolute hoolie and I've got about five layers on and even that's not enough. Uh, last weekend for the Piccadilly and Bryme the first 36 hole major of the season um, it it was verging on unplayable come sort of mid afternoon it was blowing so hard and it almost wasn't. I know he said it was a surprise afterwards because of the way he's been playing, but it wasn't that big a surprise that Mick Marley came out on top because he's got so much experience playing in those sort of conditions and he he knows how to get through those sort of events. But um, yeah, the Ireland Men's Championship, it was due to be a 36 hole qualifier on Friday. They've actually taken the decision to halve that. They're only going to do one round because it's supposed to be 4 7. And I don't think anyone really wants to be out there for 36 holes in a four seven. <laughs> um, and from there, the top 16 will qualify for the knockouts, which will take place uh, Saturday and Sunday. The, the um, final will be on Sunday afternoon. We heard from uh, Dave Jeffrey on the
0: pod last week. He said that there were yeah you know, lots of names in contention for for you know uh, interinsular selection later in the summer. Presumably that means there are a few names in contention then to lift the trophy this weekend.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, looking at the entry list, um, obviously you've got sort of the, the pretty obvious names, sort of the the plus handicappers in the island, which are Bobby Ego and Danny Blondel who go out together in the um, in the qualifier. Um, but just recently the quality of ball striking in sort of like the Scratch League and the Piccadilly and Bryme and things like that, you can tell that there are players in decent form and um, Jez Nicol, who won the island title a couple of years ago, he's looking really good. Um, Tom Lahiré is obviously a defending champion and he's got that sort of mentality now you can tell with Tom um, certainly since last year's win and, and a couple of his other wins recently, he's got more confidence because of it and he'll go out he, he won't be giving up his title easily uh, but yeah, there's, there's quite a few who will be in contention and I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of the sort of the older generation. If the wind does blow all, all weekend, they know how to play in those conditions. So it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top.
2: Gareth, I'm interested with the fact that it's been sort of sliced in half in terms of the qualifying. That might well be the spell the death knell for the current format of a stroke play so it's a whole stroke play to qualify for match play stages.
1: Yeah, possibly. I know that some, some players uh, would much rather the. Um, the old format of just straight knockout, played it sort of each evening throughout a week. Um, the format of 36-hole qualifier and then top 16 going through to knockout, it's, it's pretty arduous by the end of it. If to win it, you have to play basically six rounds in three days, and that takes a lot out of you. Um, so it perhaps favours the more physically active youngsters, those ones. Um, funnily enough, since, it's, since it changed to that, Des Nicol won his first one. Um, last year It was due to be that format um, It turned into something Slightly different Because of, because of COVID But um, Tom the Hero Came out on top So we've had two In their 20s Win the Ireland title Since it changed um, Personally I'd rather The, the straight knockout um, format just because of the drama it brings and the, the chances of seeing upsets and it's a lot easier to follow that way as well
2: Even though instead of having just three days of um, freezing yourself on, on <laughs> that, that with the knockout round you might have five six seven
1: yeah, I don't mind being out. there. I mean, I've put up with all sorts of conditions out there just reporting. My notebooks have been absolutely decimated by wind and rain out there. But I, I now use a, a surveyor's notebook, which is supposed to be weatherproof. So I'm far <laughs> better suited to it nowadays.
2: Tony, Tony's pretty new to the golf sign, but it's remarkable that the, whenever the Island Golf Championships is staged, it, it, it's always windy and it's cold. It's, it's you know, it, it, traditionally it's played in May we never seem to get a good we- a good week's weather Yeah. You
0: know. well hopefully uh, the island's golfers uh, win out over the wind and we have a good competition this weekend we shall wait and see and we'll look forward to plenty of coverage of course in the paper of that and all of the rest of the weekend sport um, thanks very much for listening if you're listening on the Gunsing Press website why not head over to uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show there and do leave us a rating or review if you can it all helps to spread the word and give us a little pat on the back uh, We'll leave it for there. We'll be back on Monday with a football podcast in the same feed, of course. But for now, have a great weekend. Cheers. Cheers.
1: Thanks.